16. We are number 7 of 22 strophes or sections of 8 verses. That means we're just over a third of the way through. Amen? And so it's only taken us 16 lessons to get here. Uh, that means there's only 32 more to get through all the rest, right? Now, it shouldn't take us quite that long, but uh, uh, I'm trying not to get too caught up in each verse, but boy, I'll tell you what, you could do a whole night on each verse if you really wanted to and uh, still not get all that is in this psalm. Verse 49 says, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me in great, I'm sorry, the proud have had me greatly in derision. Yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Now, the last verse of this strophe kind of summarizes the direction. And I want you to think about this. This is the prayer diary of the life of the psalmist. He is looking at the Word of God. And, of course, as he grows in his relationship with God, he's going to be looking at things a little differently. Um, have you ever met someone that is basically unflappable? I mean, it just really doesn't matter what's happening. They're just right there. They're, they're the same. One time, Brother Clayton told me, I think it was, yeah, he said, he said, Pete, he says, you only have one mood. He said, that one's not very good. <laughs> but at least it's consistent, amen? No. Uh, but this idea of someone who doesn't get moved around. That usually denotes one of two things. Either total apathy, which is not good, or someone who is mature and stable. That's what we want. Amen? And the psalmist, you go back to verse 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And several times in, in verse 8, he says, he asked God not to forsake him. He says, let me not wander in verse 10. I mean, this is the idea of a young man who's got most of his life out in front of him. Uh, I'll tell you what, I still consider myself in that young man category. There's still a lot of years out in front. Not as many as there were a few years ago. But listen, there's still a long way to go. And we need to be mindful. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I keep under my body, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. We see that attitude reflected earlier here. 
And then in verse 25, again, this is one of those pivotal turning points where he says, My soul cleaveth to the dust, but I'm going to run in the way when thou enlargest my heart. I'm going to get back up. But right now, just let me lay here for a minute. But then he moves and he stops being so concerned about himself. And he starts understanding, okay, Lord, you teach me. That's verse 20, 33. You teach me and I'm going to do. Then we go on to verse 41 where we finished up last week and the psalmist is moving to the next level. He's saying, now wait a minute. I think I got a hold of this thing. If God starts the work and God does the work, then God's going to finish the work. Amen? A little bit of confidence, a little bit of understanding that the future is not dependent upon me. Have you ever started looking around and say, everything is on my shoulders? You ever done that? That is the sign of immaturity because it's not on your shoulders it's on God's you say but if I don't wait wait a minute wait a minute that's the panic that was in verse 25 not the confidence of verse 48, my hands also will I lift up under thy commandments. I'm going to do what your commandments say. And I will meditate in thy statutes. I've got a future here. And that direction takes one more step in the positive direction as we get to verse 49. As he starts praising God, he gets comfort it's one thing to do what's right. It's another thing to do what's right because God is working in your heart and you have confidence that God is the one who's in control. The next step is to enjoy it. We, we could all use a little more joy. Amen? The joy of the Lord is your strength. We ought to enjoy our Christianity. Now, let's be careful here. You know, what happens, and, and we're not just trying to be judgmental here, but what happens often in certain types of churches where the emphasis is on external um, experience and external things that you do, such as the charismatic churches and the tongue-speaking movement, the more you speak, the louder you speak, the more spiritual people think you are. I remember being in a Baptist church down south, and I'd never experienced this before, scared the living daylights out of me. The pastor says, Brother Montoro, will you lead in prayer? Okay. I was a very young man at that time, and I begin to pray, and every person in the church began praying out loud at the same time. It just scared to live in daylight. Now, see, what you're supposed to do is the louder you pray and the longer you pray, the more spiritual you are. 
That's not what the psalmist is talking about, okay? It's not some ginned up thing. By the way, do you have to always have a smile on your face to be enjoying life? No, you don't. But it helps, amen? And here's what the psalmist is going through. He says, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Now, was the psalmist trying to remind God of God's word? No. The psalmist was reminding himself of God's word. Now, if the psalmist were David, he had a lot to remember, amen? As that teenage boy surrounded by his brethren, more than likely the brothers were facing outward. We don't know. They may have all been in a big circle like this. And I mean, David apparently had some pretty big brothers. And David was very young at this time, and he was in the center with Samuel. And Samuel reaches into that long robe and pulls out that horn. And with his thumbs, he cracks the horn of that animal that had been hollowed out and begins to break it in two and pour the oil upon David's head. Now, you talk about a mess. But see, that oil was important. That was the anointing oil. That belonged only to the kings. And as a young man, David was anointed to be king. That'd give you something to hope for now, wouldn't it? Later on, as David became king, he said, I, I want to build the temple for the Lord. And Nathan came and told him, David, go and prosper. God's going to bless you. And then he came back the next day and says, uh, just a second, David, I got my wires crossed. God says, you can't build the temple. But your son will. See, you've shed blood with your hands, so you can't build the temple. But your son's going to be raised in peace. And so he'll build the temple. By the way, there were some promises made to David that his kingdom was going to continue for how long? Ten generations? Twenty generations? No, forever. Of course, we understand today that's ultimately fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that kingdom promise is still, we're still waiting for it. When Jesus, as the son of David, rules the world from the city of peace as the prince of peace. You know what? There's not going to be any more aid flotillas full of guns going into Gaza when the Prince of Peace rules. Amen? I can't wait. He says, Remember thy word unto thy servant. Because that's where my hope is. Lord, I've got some things to think about here. This is my comfort. You go down to verse 56 and he says, This I had because I kept thy precepts. How many of you can think of some blessing you've had in your life? Uh, Philip, 
How about we stop this right now and go back and sit with your mom, okay? That's all. Now, how many of you can think of something that God has done in your life because you obeyed the Bible? Can you think of something like that? Isn't that a source of comfort? Now, David, is if he is the psalmist, and, and we have every reason to believe that, he's going to run into some trouble. We get down to verse 80, and things are going to take a, a definite turn. But every time, he's going to come back to the Word of God. Every time. He says, Remember thy word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This, what? Again, what's he doing? He's taking the next verse, the next phrase of this psalm, and he's building. He says, this, referring to the word that was caused him to hope, is my comfort in my affliction. You know, there are times when we are going to be afflicted. He has confidence in the Word of God that the work that God has started, God is going to finish. But wait a minute. When I am being afflicted, I've got comfort. And that doesn't make sense, does it? Unless you believe in the Bible. How did Paul put it in 2 Corinthians? He said, the comfort we have to comfort one another, to comfort you, is the comfort that we received when we were being persecuted. My wife wrote a song, uh, Make It a Well in the Valley of Tears. And that's from the Psalms as well, in the, in the Valley of Baca or the Valley of Tears. Make it a well. You take the sorrow that God has brought into your life. And if you will, you can make that a place that others can draw on and be refreshed. And there's no greater comfort that you can get in this life than being able to comfort and encourage another human being. That's why we try so hard to do it all the time. But have you ever tried to really help somebody and only made a mess of it? You don't need to raise your hand on that one. But listen, when we do that, it's because we're doing it in our effort, not his. It's because we're going back to that idea of reaching inside of us and trying to give some of us to somebody else. Let me tell you, you're going to run out of you. You got to get full of the Word of God. He said, This is my comfort. By the way, how many of you had someone that just really was after you for one reason or another? I mean, they just wanted to do something to you, they were just going to get you. Has anybody ever been there? Can I tell you the best way to really torque them off? I mean, if you really want to get them upset, be comforted when they afflict you. Oh, my. You don't know what torment you are wreaking in the heart of that person who is trying to, 
twist the knife and rub salt in the wound, all those little phrases that we have. I'm glad the deaf aren't here tonight because that's absolutely meaningless to them. But, I mean, we do those things and, and somebody is trying to get us and God is good. You know, God's given me grace to deal with this problem. <gasps> I got to try harder. But if you do that pretending, just trying to irritate that person, they see through it like that. But David, the psalmist here, says, this is my comfort in my affliction. What is? Oh, the word of God to me upon which he's caused me to hope. I don't know if I'll do this or not, but I would love to get out my sermon on David at Ziklag and preach it again. Does anybody remember that? I see a few. You see, that was one of David's lowest times. Yet he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? He had the promises of God. He knew God was going to take care of them. Now look at the rest of this verse. It, it doesn't just end, this is my comfort. For thy, Here's why he is comforted. He said, for thy word hath quickened me. He said, your word is what has given me life. But let's just go back. Verse 25, it says, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me. He's praying. He says, Lord, give me life according to thy word. Verse 50, he says, thy word hath quickened me. He said, that's why I have comfort. Go back to verse 37. He says, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. He said, Lord, don't let me get my heart tuned on all those other things. I mean, we were up Tuesday morning knocking doors in uh, some neighborhoods not far from Brother Matt Smith's church in Binghamton and Boy, we got uh, another pastor and I, and uh, Andrew was with me, and Brother Ferran's son from uh, Buffalo, uh, Niagara Falls, actually, and we were out there knocking on doors. We were in a nice neighborhood. I mean, really nice neighborhood. You know what happens when you knock doors in a really nice neighborhood? Nobody's home. And, and the people that are home... Oh, I'm satisfied. I don't need that silly little church down the street. I got everything I need. Don't, don't try to trouble me with that stuff. He said, listen. He said, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. He said, quicken thou me in the way. He said, Lord, you've done that. I've seen you give me life according to your word. And you see, I know that no matter what the trouble I face, God is the answer. Now look at verse 51. It's not that life is without problems. We get this crazy idea, and I don't know where it comes from, that the good life is life without problems. 
There is no such thing as life without problems. There is no such thing. It doesn't exist. It's, well, I'll tell you where there are no problems. You know, they've got special wards in almost every hospital. And you go in and they give you a shot of something and then they give you some nice little pills and everybody's there to answer your questions and just to make you feel good. I don't want to go there. That's the only place there's no problems. You know why? It's because everybody's pretending there's no problems. Everybody's numbed up enough where they can't feel the problems. Listen, he says, the proud have had me greatly in derision. Do you know what that means? I, I looked up that word derision in a good English dictionary that I have on loan for my son. It means to be held as the source of mocking and jokes. How many follow politics at least lightly? How many remember all of the George W. Bush jokes? I mean, there is nothing too low to accuse the president of. That's, that's what the, the psalmist is talking, had me greatly in derision. I mean, they're trying to blame the oil spill on George W. Bush. I mean, uh, they blame the hurricane on George W. Bush. Like he dialed it up on the machine and sent it right in there to get rid of all the people that didn't vote for him. I mean, come on. How many of you remember the absolute absurdity in the way they treated our former president. This says, the psalmist here saying, they had me greatly in derision. I was the source of their jokes and their mockery. I don't know how many of us in this room have ever had this really happen to you. It doesn't happen often. But when someone's in a group of people, your peers, when they have a public announcement and you are the butt of every joke, you are the punchline. That's what being in derision is. And no, they're not meaning it as a just a little bit of fun thing. They're trying to destroy your reputation and your character. They're trying to erase you as a human being. How many remember Vice President Daniel Quayle? How many of you would be astounded to know he was probably one of the most able and educated men ever to sit in the White House, period? You say, I don't believe you. Well, look at it. He was. Somebody said, where's our Ronald Reagan? I'll tell you where our Ronald Reagan was. It was in Dan Quayle. But he got quailed. He was made a joke. He couldn't get elected dog catcher today. 
You know why? Because nobody believes in him. This is what it means. It's not fun in the way sometimes. He said, while these people were doing this to me daily, here's what I did. While they, were, while they had me in derision, while they made me the source and the punchline in their jokes, when they scorned me and mocked me, he said, yet have I not declined from thy law. Why? Well, that's where the comfort was. Remember the verse before? That's where the life was. Quicken thou me according. He says, thou hast quickened me in verse 50. He said, the proud have had me greatly in derision. He said, they were trying to destroy me. He said, but all I did was I just kept doing his word. I just kept obeying your laws. Now, verse 52, he builds upon that. You see, we get to this set. He's not cleaving to the dust like he did in the first time. He's saying, wait a minute, I got comfort from thy word. I got life from thy word. If you go back to, to verse 23, it says, Princes also did set and speak against me. Let me tell you, speaking against you is one thing. Having you greatly in derision is a far greater source of trial and a far more serious problem, especially for a king. How can a king rule? if no one trusts him to rule. And he said, all I did was kept being obedient to your word. Verse 52, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Now, it'd be really easy for you and really easy for me to read this verse differently than I, intend, than I believe the psalmist intended it to read. See, most of us would read this verse and said, Yeah, God got him when Noah closed the door of the ark. God's judgment came and swept them all away. <laughs> God's going to get him. I don't think that's what the psalmist was talking about here. You see, he started out the psalm by saying, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. One of the greatest problems we have is when we face persecution. The first thing we try to do is salvage our own reputation. The second thing we try to do is shut up the opponents. Let me tell you, neither one of those will ever work. You cannot convince someone that hates God and the Bible that you're a good person unless you join them in blaspheming the God of the Bible. He said, I remember thy judgments of old. Every time someone stepped out of the way, God judged them for every sin. David was, the psalmist was not thinking about all the wrong things that everyone else was doing. That's the next verse. 
this verse, he's saying, you know what? If I'm not careful, I'll step out of that way and God's judgment will come in my life. But here I've got some confidence because I've loved thy word. I've held to thy statutes. You've given me life according to thy word. And for once in my life, I stayed in the way instead of out of the way. And that's a source of comfort. Could we get a hold of that? Every time I want to remind one of my children, we've used this example, and you're the same way, I was the same way. When I want to remind them of something that needs to be taken care of, that should have been taken care of, they're going to remind me of all the other good things they did. Well, Dad, I know I forgot this, but I remember this and this and this and this and this. And I said, that's very good. I'm glad you remembered all those things. But this one thing that's been forgotten still needs to be taken care of. Like now? Oh, Dad. Yes, the meanest man in the world strikes again. Wait till Father's Day. Amen. Can God let sin go unpunished? No, that's why Jesus died on the cross. He took the punishment we deserve. Amen? You can get discouraged about serving God. Remember his judgments of old. Say, God, keep me in the way. Let me be comforted that I am walking in obedience to your word. That's what the psalmist did. And then here's the answer when you look at those that are trying to get you. The next verse, verse 52, he's looking inward. Verse 53, he's looking outward. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Now this word horror has a totally different connotation today than it ever has before in history. I, I think we're one of the fewest, I mean, one of the strangest groups in the history of mankind in the fact that we love to scare ourselves silly. Isn't that what an amusement park is all about? We pay money to stand in line for two and three hours so we can get on a roller coaster and spend the next 75 seconds in mortal fear, knowing that we really can't hurt ourselves. Now, is that bizarre or is that bizarre? We watch movies that we know are all made up. My dad used to tell the story they had one of the first TVs in, in their area there in central Pennsylvania and all the neighbors would come over and, and watch TV at the house and they had one man he just he said we just always dreaded when he came over because he would literally jump up on the back of the couch and go running across Scott the knife watch out I mean and they're sitting there going it's just television. No, he's going to kill them. And I mean, just so wrapped up in what was going on. Why do we do that? Well, 
it's, I, I, I can't answer the question. If somebody has an answer, I'd like it. But why do we want to make ourselves afraid? The only answer I can come up with is when we really have nothing real to be afraid of, we have to make up an enemy. We have to make something up. We have to pretend because there's just a part of human existence. We're always looking for no, some new enemy, some new superhero to come and bail us all out. If we could only understand the devil is much more potent. I mean, I, I get sick of this. They were digging up whatever his name is on Elm Street when I was a teenager. I mean, he'd already died three times, and now they're bringing him back. You would think that they'd have something new to write about. Could we let horror really, real horror, could we understand what we're supposed to be afraid of? I could spend the whole week on this verse, whole week of Thursday nights. We're not afraid of what we ought to be afraid of. And we're absolutely terrified of what is absolutely meaningless. I mean, join me and say guilty. I mean, we're afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. How many are you afraid of the dark? I am not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in it. That's why I like the lights. Lots of them. I take the kids camping. You know what they want me to do? They want me to pump up that old Coleman lantern. We got our own street light we take with us into the wilderness. It just And it'll burn all night. Five o'clock in the morning. It's sun's coming up. It's still sitting there puttering and putting out a little light and all that kind of fun stuff. Listen, he says horror. And what he means by horror, he means fear and dread of the soul. The real thing. Not some manufactured Hollywood slop. Horror had taken hold on me, upon me because of the wicked. Now, I want you to understand, again, he is not afraid of what the wicked are going to do to him. This is where most of us get caught. We're afraid of what the wicked are going to do. How did Paul put it in the book of Romans? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? We know those verses, but do we believe them? Well, of course, Pastor, we believe them then why are we so afraid? Fill in the blank. The reason the psalmist was stricken with horror is because he knew what was going to happen to those people who had forsaken God's laws. You want an answer for unforgiveness? Get concerned with those people that hate you because of the Bible and your testimony for Christ because they're on their way to a devil's hell. Let me tell you, the horror there is real. It's not made up. If we could roll back the cover, if we could 
pull back that cover for just one second and look over the pit and listen to the noise that comes from it, not one of us would retain our sanity. But we're not afraid of that. We preach God's forgiveness so much, we forget about his judgments. Now, what did he say? He said, I've studied thy judgments of old. I remember them. Isn't it interesting? He says, remember thy word. And now he's going to do a pun or a play on that word. And he's going to come down to verse... I'll stick close to this mic. There we go. Okay. Now, he's saying, listen, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Now, look at verse 54. Here's the next key to keeping from being distracted in the way. These are the things. He said, I was greatly in derision. The way has problems. But here's what I did. I just remembered thy judgments of old and I was comforted. Uh, I just keep doing God's word. He said, horror hath taken hold on me because I know where they're going to end up. He said, thy statutes have been my song. How many songs do we have that says, Dear God, I rejoice in getting sin out of my life. There are a few, but there aren't very many now, are there? We don't like to sing, sing about the statutes, God's laws. Has anybody ever put the Ten Commandments to music? Don't think so. I, it says, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. What's the house of your pilgrimage? Why, it's your body, is it not? Fill your soul with God's word to the point that it runs over. And you'll sing about God's laws. You'll rejoice when it comes there. And, and by the way, even to this day, most Jewish music is not some slow, dead, funeral dirge kind of weird sound and stuff. Only in the symphony orchestra. But when they play those folk songs, I mean, they're, they're happy songs. And... Right here, it's saying, listen, we, we need to have some happy songs. We need to have some joy in our hearts. Thy statutes have been the songs. Fill yourself with God's word to the point that it begins to bubble out. Amen? Look at verse 5. He goes right back to this thought of remembering, and he, and he builds again. He said, I have remembered thy name. When we go through discipleship and the lesson on prayer, I, I encourage people. Just a, a preacher told me this years ago, and I've never forgotten it, and I'll tell you once in a while, I'll just 
get under the burdens as every one of us do. And I'll just start down through the alphabet. The Almighty, the Bountiful, the Beautiful God, the Comforter. Remember His names. Read your Bible, look for His names. Now, when did He remember His names? I remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. A lot of bad things happen at night, doesn't it? A lot of times we just want to give up. We feel alone in the darkness. Darkness and light are the same to him that sees everything. Amen? Remember his name. And by the way, if you remember his name, you're going to want to praise him. And you will keep his laws. And then we come to the summary verse. This I had because I kept thy precepts. He said, you know what? I'm learning to enjoy the way. Even though I've been held greatly in derision, I've comforted myself in thy word. Thy word has given me life. It's, I have been quickened. Uh, I know what's going to happen to those people, and it breaks my heart. I'm afraid for them with mortal fear. You know, it'd be kind of hard to hold a grudge against someone you're afraid for, mortal fear for their well-being now, wouldn't it? That's all part of this forgiveness thing that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. Nothing new. It's all right here. How many times have you just forgotten something from God's Word? You're going through your Bible reading or just reading your Bible or, and all of a sudden there it is. Boom! Wow! I forgot about that. Listen. God never forgets His Word. But you know what? He likes it when we remind Him of His Word. As long as we're trusting in it. He said, that's where my hope is. That is the source of all the goodness in my life. And he said, this comfort I had. This attention off of that person and being concerned for their soul has has been my comfort and has has taken my attention off of them that I might serve serve thee thy statutes I'm not worried about God's law I'm keeping it and I've remembered thy name you start doing that and guess what those enemies won't be such bad enemies anymore not to you and if they persist in being your enemy guess what's going to happen I mean they're just going to fry themselves As we might say, the Bible says you're heaping coals of fire upon their head. Love burns, my friend. Especially when you're trying to repay hatred for it. That's why the Bible says love your enemies. I can't think of any person, living or dead, that I rejoice that they have met their doom in an eternity without God. Someone says, well, 
You're telling me that if Adolf Hitler would have prayed just before he shot himself in the head, that, oh, no, no, let's not get ridiculous here. Mr. Hitler already made his, besides, his name was actually Schlick Gruber. Uh, how would you like to have been stuck with that sobriquet? But he actually made his decision many, many years before. It was too late to repent at the last minute. What a horrible ending. The Reich was going to last a thousand years. I think the historian said it barely lasted a thousand days. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Can you think of the good that is in your life because of obedience to God's word? Just stay there. Amen? Don't watch horror movies. Get concerned for people's souls. Amen? You want to fill that need for horror in your life. Allow God to give you a broken heart over lost and dying men. And he'll change you and transform you. You'll enjoy the way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this set of eight verses and what it has in our, for our hearts and minds. Lord, we ask that you would give us another, just a dose of that joy that is there. Lord, we ask that you would help us to realize even in our afflictions, the answer is obedience to your word. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in what happens in these next few moments as we offer an invitation. Keep our hearts soft toward thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the pianist play a hymn. We won't sing tonight.